protection on us, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Strong tower, my very prayer. 
So, Father, we thank you that you're with us. We're reminded in your word that you said you'll never leave us nor abandon us or forsake us. That's a promise. That's a promise that you said you would be with us to the very end of this age. And so, Lord, whoever needs to hear that tonight, that you are with us. You're for us. You're not against us. If God is for us, who can be against us? God, you are for us. You're on our side. You want to see us succeed. So, Father, I pray for the anointing of your Holy Spirit to fill up this room. You're already here. If two or more are gathered in your name, there you are in their midst, and you are here. Fill this place up with your presence, with the anointing of your power, that Shekinah glory. We pray that right now. In the mighty name of Jesus, pour out your Spirit in our church. Pour out your Spirit in our church. Father, we're praying for revival. We need a revival in, in our nation. We need a revival in our city. We need a revival in this church. God, bring revival. Pour out your anointing. Bring healings and, and deliverance and set people free from bondages and strongholds in their lives. And God, pour out your anointing on them to flow in the gifts that you've given them. And we pray that tonight. We invite you to mess with our hearts tonight. We thank you for that in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. How's everybody doing tonight? I like that. He said blessed. You said blessed. Okay. She said it. <laughs> and highly favored. Amen. Well, we're in the book of Daniel, so if you have your Bibles, please open up with me to the book of Daniel. And uh, last week we were in chapter 7, this week we're in chapter 8, we'll get as far as we can tonight. And chapter 7, Daniel, if you remember, just to recap before we read the scripture and uh, dive into it tonight, just to recap, you know, Daniel uh, uh, described uh, the four different types of uh, beasts 
And if you remember that, we saw those. Those are the four different kingdoms that came after Daniel. Uh, uh, and just before Jesus came on the earth, these four kingdoms. And, and then it talked about the final kingdom, which we know will be the kingdom of the Antichrist. And we're starting to see those things begin to take fruit and come to fruition. Again, we don't know the day or the hour when Jesus is going to come back, but we do see the seasons. And Jesus told that even the Pharisees, you can judge the sky when the weather is changing, whether we're going to have a storm or not. You couldn't, and they couldn't judge the time when Jesus was coming. They missed it. So we don't want to miss the time that Jesus has for us that he's coming back soon. So we're in Daniel chapter 8, and uh, I've titled the message tonight, The Two Kingdoms. And we're in that series, A Godly Man Who Remained Faithful. So uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 27. It's a long chapter, so it's going to take up a little bit of reading. But in order to understand the scripture, you've got to read all of it. So uh, Daniel chapter 8. I hope nobody falls asleep, because if you do, I'll, I'll blow a horn. I'm just kidding. All right, Daniel chapter 8, verse 1. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that I had already appeared to me. Now, remember, just let, let's stop here before we read on. Remember chapter 7, it was the beginning reign of Belshazzar. So now this is a couple years later. Daniel is seeing another vision. God has appeared to him. Verse 2. In my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of the Susa, in the province of Elam. In the vision, I was beside Ule, the Ule Canal. I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns, standing beside the canal, and the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. I watched the ram as he charged towards the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against him, and no one could rescue from his, could, no one, and none could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between his eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. He came toward the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at him in great rage. I saw him attack the ram furiously, striking the ram, or striking the ram and shattering his two horns. The ram was powerless to stand up against him. The goat knocked him to the ground and trampled on him, and none could rescue the ram from his power. The goat became very great, but at the height of his power, his large horn was broken off. And in its place, four prominent horns grew up towards the four winds of the heaven. Out of one of them came another horn, which started small, but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land. It grew until it reached the host of the heavens, and it threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled all them. It, it, it set itself up to be a, as great as the prince of hosts. It took away the daily sacrifice from him, and the place of his sanctuary was brought low. Because of rebellion, the host of the saints and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, and truth was thrown to the ground. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to him, How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled, the vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, and the surrender of the sanctuary and the host that will be trampled underfoot? He said to me, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary will be re, uh, reconsecrated. While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man. And I heard a man's voice from Ule calling, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. While he was speaking to me, I was in deep sleep with my face to the ground. Then he touched me and raised me to my feet. He said, I'm going to tell you what will happen later in the time of the wrath. 
because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the king of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between his eyes is the first king. The four horns that replace the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation, but will not have the same power. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a stern-faced king, a master of intrigue, will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy the mighty men and the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper, and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take a stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that have been given you is true, but seal up the vision, for it concerns the distant future. I, Daniel, was exhausted and lay ill for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we uh, study this scripture tonight, we, uh, this is more of teaching and learning. And so, Father, we all want to be disciples of your word. Give us understanding. Give us, uh, give us a, a deep revelation of what you are saying here and how close things are getting for us. I pray, Father, that you will again open up the eyes of our heart to know what the Spirit is saying to each of us. Lord, as your vessel, again, I stand before here humbled, knowing that I'm just the under-shepherd. You're the good shepherd. Speak through me what you want to say to your sheep tonight, including me. Say what you want to say. Do what you want to do. I yield to you, Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. So we got to look at the first thing in this verse. And we already know he later on tells us what these two nations are, but I want to look at them a little deep, deeper. So let's look at the ram. Who was the ram in verses 1 through 4? You remember he talks about this ram that comes up. So let's read real quick verse 1 through 4. I know we already read it, but let's read it again. In the third year of the king of Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. In my vision, I myself was in the citadel of Susa in the province of Elam. In the vision, I was beside Ule, the canal. I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns standing beside the canal, and the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. I watched the ram as he charged towards the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against him, and no one could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased, and he became great. So who's the ram? Well, we know the ram represents Medo-Persia because he mentions it later on in the scripture here. And uh, the, Medio, uh, the, the Medo-Persian empire is the one that uh, destroyed Babylon. And, and Babylon was a great empire. If you remember from the statue that we studied about, remember the, the statue that Nebuchadnezzar made? The first part was gold, and each year, each kingdom got weaker as it went along. And what's interesting about that is you guys know the final kingdom has ten toes, and it's made up of iron mixed with clay. So that, that final kingdom is going to be powerful, but it's going to be so mixed, it's not going to last. In fact, we'll, we'll find out later on, and I think we read it, earlier in chapter 2 in the statue where that rock comes down and destroys that final kingdom. That rock represents Jesus. So we know that no matter what kingdom rises up, God is still on his throne. He is still the one that's in charge. So the ram represents the Medo-Persian empire. Uh, The horn that grew up later describes how this kingdom was ruled by two groups of people. Uh, The lesser would grow stronger. The Persians would later become stronger and larger than the Medes. 
And so these are two kingdoms. Daniel's prophetically seeing something happen. And it's funny because historians will try to discount the Bible, but the Bible's so accurate that it literally predicts who was going to be in charge. That tells you that the Bible that we read today is powerful. It's alive. It's real. And the prophetic words in it speak the truth. And so if God says there's going to be a final kingdom, which we're going to look at, there's going to be a final kingdom. If God says we're going to be raptured out of here, we're going to be raptured out of here. If God says that we're victorious, we're what? Victorious. So we got to take God at his word. And I try to always tell people, if his word says it, it means it. And you can look at all the prophecies that God says in his scripture, and it's come to pass. I mean, God is 100%. I mean, other people might say this and may be a little right about something, and, but then they're off here. That doesn't make them 100%, but our God is 100%. So Daniel sees this, and God tells him this. I, I like what Wood said. It said, it wasn't a stretch to use a ram to represent Medo-Persian Empire. Amanius Mercilianus, can you guys say that name? A fourth century historian states that the Persian ruler bore the head of a ram as he stood at the head of his army. Again, God is descriptive. The ram represents Medo-Persian. That was their mascot. It'd be like God saying, oh, well, the eagle over here, right? We know that the dragon represents a certain nation, right? The bear represents Russia. I mean, you think about this. We still use these things, and God knew that. Strauss says this, the ram was the national emblem of Persia, a ram being stamped on Persian coins as well as on the headdress of Persian emperors. Again, how accurate is God's word? I mean, this was hundreds of years before all this took place. So let's look at the goat. Who was the goat? Let's look at verses 5 through 8. As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between his eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. He came towards the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at him with great rage. Look at that. There's something about this, this, this kingdom. I saw him attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering his two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against him. The goat knocked him to the ground and trampled on him, and none could rescue the ram from his power. The goat that became very great, but at the, at the height of his power, his large horn was broken off. And in its place, four prominent horns grew up towards the four winds of the heaven. This represents Greece. Alexander the Great is the horn. The four horns are the generals that replaced him after he died. You know, Alexander the Great, again, I think I shared last Sunday, military historians, still military uh, 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 professors at universities and at the military academy uh, still use some of his tactics. That's how good he was. But it just goes to show you, it doesn't matter how good you are, how smart you are, God can take you out. Nobody is above God. And God is not a respecter of what? Persons. I share that a lot. There's nobody that's above God. And what's the scripture saying? When we think we're standing lest we what? Fall. God help me to stay humble. Right? We need to always say that. God help me to stay humble. And we got to be careful how we pray that, too, because he'll help you be humble, right? Just like you pray for patience. So God, he's describing the Greek empire. Now, the goat, again, represents the Greek empire coming to power and destroying the Medo-Persian empire. Again, this was fulfilled. Historians prove this, this was fulfilled. I mean, I like watching it. How many of you guys like history? 
Like one of my favorite channels is the History Channel. I love to watch this stuff. So now interesting about this, the Greek Empire, again, was divided between four generals following the death of Alexander the Great. We found that in Daniel chapter 7. We know that from history. And so, and, and again, how many of you guys know who Alexander the Great was? Yeah, everybody knows that. So the goat became very great. Now there's a reason for that. They didn't just become great militarily, but Greek influence on culture. The Greeks were, uh, they, were uh, they greatly influenced the world with its culture. They, they influenced Rome. I mean, some of the statues you see today are still Greek. So when it says it's great, it just didn't mean that they affected uh, uh, the, the world in military wise of conquering nations, but they affected the world military, uh, with uh, culture. So kind of getting ahead of myself. They're also known for Koine or common Greek. And it, was the, it, was the, it became known as the language of the world. God used this language to rewrite the New Testament. I find it interesting here. Who today has influenced more of the world than any other nation? And then whose language is a universal language? English. Makes you think. Things that make you go, hmm, right? <laughs> the final kingdom, again, is Rome in Daniel's dream, and it was influenced greatly, again, by Greek culture. So let's look at the little horn, 9 for 14. This is the part I really want to focus on tonight. So we know that Daniel's kind of, God's given him a picture of what he already showed him in Daniel uh, chapter 7, which was two years earlier. Now he's showing him again. He shows him the, these two other nations, and now he's going to talk about this little horn. So who was the little horn? Let's, let's read verses 9 through 14. Out of one of them came another horn, which started small, but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land. It grew until it reached the host of the heavens, and it threw some of the starry host down to the earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the prince of the host. It took away the daily sacrifice from him, and the place of his sanctuary was brought low. Because of rebellion, the host of the saints and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, and the truth was thrown to the ground. Then I heard a, a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to him, How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, and the surrender of the sanctuary and of the host that will be trampled underfoot. He said to me, It will take 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. So most scholars believe and agree that this little horn was Antiochus, the fourth uh, of Epiphanes. He ruled over Israel's land in Syria during the reign of the Seleucid dynasty. Did you guys get all that? Those are some deep stuff, huh? That's why I put it up on the screen. This was, an, anybody know who this was, Antiochus Epiphanes? We call him the Old Testament Antichrist. It's interesting what he did. <clears throat> Again, I, I, I'm kind of going ahead of my notes here, but um, I want to read this to you. The, uh, in fact, the Maccabean, how many of you guys know the book of Maccabees? The Maccabean Revolt. How many of you guys know what Hanukkah is all about? This is about Hanukkah. And it was the Maccabean Revolt. They revolted against this guy's actions. You, you know what he did? He wanted all the Jews to, to, to give up their, their culture and their belief system. And he wanted everyone to become Greek. So he forced things on them. And he went into the temple. He slaughtered a pig and put blood everywhere and sat and called himself God. 
Does that sound familiar? It's going to happen again. And that's interesting that he meant, I, I got to bring something up that Robert just said, Hitler. I think Satan's always got an Antichrist in the, in the wings. Do you know, nine years before Antichrist came, or before Hitler, <laughs> I, well, you could say he was like a, the type of Antichrist. But before he came to power, in the, in, in the seven churches, it's called the, the Church of Pergamum. And they call it the seat of Satan. It's called, it's actually a, a, a big, huge uh, seat. It's giant for Zeus. It was called the seat of Zeus, but God called it, Jesus called it the seat of Satan. The Germans went and they deconstructed that and rebuilt it. In, I think it's in Brussels, if I'm not mistaken, Germany. Just before, nine years before Hitler came to power. If people don't think the Bible's real, it's real. I mean, you take the seed of Satan and you put it over there and boom, right? This guy was a type of Antichrist. And we know that the Antichrist, and we're going to read that here in a few minutes, the Antichrist in the times is going to be like this guy. That's why they call it the abomination that causes what? Desolation. That was an abomination to take a pig. First of all, a pig is what kind of animal to a Jew? Unclean. It's an unclean animal. That's why the prodigal son, remember the prodigal son? He wanted to eat what the pigs were eating. I mean, that's the low of a low for a Jew to think that you want to eat and you were around pigs because that made you unclean. And so he takes a pig and slaughters it and pours blood all over inside the temple. And then he sits in there and says, I'm God. It really comes back to Satan wants to still be in the position of God. And people don't even realize they're serving Satan and not Jesus. I think I've shared with you, I don't know if I showed a clip. I'm going to try to get this clip up here in a picture, but on the, on the Dome of the Rock, on the Temple Mount, in the marble. I mean, this is marble. You can't just go in there. It was made that way. Satan was a seraphim. So on the, you remember me sharing with you, uh, the seraphim, they face each other. In that marble, go look it up. You can go Google it. Um, in that marble is the picture of Satan. And he's facing each other. There's two pictures of it. It's there. It's still there today. It's on the Temple Mount. It's, it's on the Dome of the Rock. And it's right over the rock where they believe the Ark of the Covenant sat and where the sacrifice took place. Who really wants that position? But the wonderful thing is we already know who wins the war, right? So this is Hanukkah. How many of you guys know what Hanukkah is about? They, they lit candles and they, stay, they stayed lit. They never went out. It was a miracle. God did an amazing thing here. So Daniel wrote this precise prophecy 350 years before Antiochus Epiphanes and the Maccabean revolt. He wrote it 350 years. Again, God is precise, and when he says something, he means it. So how did Antiochus Epiphanes come to power? Let's look at verse 9 again. Out of one of them came another horn, which started small, but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land. He started out what? Small. And, but then he became great. Do you know the Antichrist is going to do the same thing? He's going to start out small, but then he's going to become great. He's going to come out of obscurity. Nobody's going to know who he is. That's why I always tell people, stop looking for the Antichrist, start looking for Jesus Christ. Because I don't think we're going to know who he is. We're going to be raptured out of here. I mean, that's right in the scripture. It says that he who holds back, in fact, let's go there. Hold your spot here let's, so I don't get you off. Let's go to First, uh, 
2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I had to get my brain together. This is not my notes tonight, so that's why it's important to bring your Bibles. Amen? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to get into this a little bit, and this actually is in my notes later on, so we'll probably look at it again. I just realized that. But look what it says in verse 1. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered, and we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us saying the day of the Lord has already come. Meaning they thought they were left behind and this was the tribulation period and the second coming was coming. Verse 3, don't let anyone deceive you in any way for that day will not come until the apostasy, the falling away occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. Let's stop there for a minute. That's exactly what Antiochus Epiphanes did. That's what the Antichrist is going to do. Same thing. It's almost like a rerun, right? Deja vu. This happened, it's going to happen again. Then he goes on to say this, verse 5. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things. And now you know what is holding him back. What's holding the Antichrist from coming on the scene? Somebody's holding the Antichrist from coming on the scene so that he may be revealed at the proper time. God's got a proper time. He knows when it's going to happen. That's a, again, that means God has everything under control. Okay, well, nope, you can't come yet. I'm not going to let you come yet, but no, there's a specific time that God's going to allow the Antichrist to be revealed. Verse 7, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. That was the, the, the spirit of the Antichrist. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then, verse 8, the lawless, lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Hallelujah. That's the second coming. You and I get to come back with him. But again, you and I, as believers, we're holding the Antichrist from coming back. Really, Pastor? We're holding, it's the Holy Spirit, the church, that's holding them back. I've shared with you before, but once we're taken out of here, the Holy Spirit's still going to be here because people have to get saved, the tribulation saints. But it's you and I, believers, that are holding it back. We see the evil that's coming, and we're like, uh-uh, I know what that is, right? I just watched the video. There. Do you know what they're doing this year worldwide? They're going to start doing face scans and hand scans. I'm not kidding you. I just watched it. Our U.S. government with all these other governments, they want to start doing that. If you want to fly, they're going to start scanning your face, and they're going to start scanning your hand, the palm. I'm not joking. I just watched it. It's true. How close are we? Jesus is right there. Yeah, I know. I get goosebumps <laughs> talking about it. All right, let's go back to Daniel here. I want to read what David Gusick says. I know I use a lot of commentaries. Do you guys like the commentaries that I use? Sometimes they put them in a different uh, uh, wording than I can give. But he says, The kingdom under Alexander the Great was divided between the four generals, Cassander ruling over Greece and its region, Lysmuchus, or however you say that name. You know, I say it fine in my head until I try to say it with my mouth, and it doesn't work. Ruling over Asia Minor, Seleucus, or Seleucus, ruling over Syria and Israel's land, and Ptolemy, ruling over Egypt. Uh, something else, too, if you know about history, Ptolemy had a lot 
of play with what happened with Antiochus of Epiphanes. And that's a whole other story. So, the Seleucus ruled, or Seleucus, however you want to say it, ruled over the land of Israel and Syria. So most historians are in agreement that Antiochus Epiphanes came to power under this dynasty. Antiochus IV gained the throne of his father, Antiochus III, by murdering his brother, the former king, Seleucus the Philopater. The son of Philo, Philo Pater, I probably said that wrong, I'm sorry guys, I'm not really good with these Greek names was rightful heir to the throne, but Antiochus IV had him held hostage in Rome. Antiochus IV legitimized his rule mainly through flattery and bribery. Now, let me tell you something about nothing about the Antichrist, and we're going to read about that in chapter 11. He's a smooth talker. He said he's going to be very charismatic. Boy, it's like mirroring. It's like God saying this is what the Antichrist is going to be like. He's going to be a smooth talker. So what's the one thing Jesus says in the last days? Let's go to Matthew 24 real quick. It's not in our notes, but Matthew 24. Look in verse 4. Now this is called the Olivet Discourse. Jesus, the disciples, ask him what's... What will this happen? It will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age. And he says this to him. The first thing that Jesus says is, verse 4, watch out that no one does what? Deceives you. You've heard me say that the last few weeks. Can I tell you something? I saw this sign out here. Trump is not our Savior. Jesus is. And I, it irritates me that they pointed it towards our church. Can, can we get it? I know uh, somebody was mentioning that we should get a sign that says, Jesus is our only Savior for our country. That irritates me. Listen, no man can save us but Jesus. But let me tell you, the, they're going to be looking for a Savior. They're going to look for a man to rule. And he's going to be a smooth talker. And we got to be really careful, even as believers, that we don't follow every person. There's only one person we're to follow, and that's Jesus. We're, we're sojourners in this life. We're just passing through. This is not our home. We're, so how many of us get too comfortable here sometimes? So he says the first thing, watch out that no one deceives you. We've got to be very careful that we're not deceived. That means we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We need to be strong in our walk with God. We need to be spending time in our relationship with God. Get to know his voice more clearly. Because there's a lot of Christians that do get deceived. I mean, think about George Jones. I don't want to drink that Kool-Aid. Was it George, not George Jones, who's the guy that did the Kool-Aid thing? Do you guys remember his name? It was Jones something. I better not, George Jones is a singer. I'm sorry, that's the wrong guy. I just realized everybody's like, Jim Jones, thank you. George, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, I'm not a country singer, so I could get away with that one, right? I'm just kidding. But Jim Jones, the guy that runs our under 125 for the rural, uh, rural compassion for the Assemblies of God, he pastored that church 15 years after all that happened. Or, or like maybe 20 years. He said that the stigma was still there. It took, yeah, that's right. He was, it was like 20-some years after that, and it took 15 years for that stigma to finally go away. So we got to be really careful who we follow. I want to read this again. Antiochus IV assumed the title Epiphanes, meaning illustrious, 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 I'm sorry sometimes, and alluding to deity. 
The ancient Jews twisted his name into Epimenes, which means madman. So they were calling him a madman. Illustrious, thank you. So what did Antiochus do? We already read about this. Let's go back to Daniel. Let's read it again, what it says here. I kind of already told you what he did, but let's read it a little bit farther. Verse 10, look what it says. First, it, it grew this horn, Antiochus Epiphanes. It, he grew until it reached the host of heavens and threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled them. So most scholars will say this. He murdered both the people and its rulers. He killed some of the high priests. When it says the starry host, he's talking about the high priests. He literally killed them and put them to death. Verse 11, it set itself up to be as great as the prince of hosts, took away the daily sacrifice from him, and, and the place of his sanctuary was brought low. Again, that was him setting himself up in the temple, calling himself to be God. Theologians believe that God was using Antiochus Epiphanes to bring judgment on the Jews for their apostasy. I want to. I, I, I did some study on this, and in fact, the Maccabees in the book. I, you know, that's not a uh, that divine knowledge book. It's not divinely inspired, but it is a, like a historic book that you can read about the Maccabean re revolt. And in there, I read some interesting things. This this is what they say: the apostasy was so bad that the high priests were killing each other for power. And so they were trying to make a, a make a, a an alliance with Antiochus Epiphanes. So these high priests were saying, hey, I'll give you so much money if you make me high priest. That tells us that only God can promote. God's the promoter, not us. In fact, look at this. The Jews, especially their leaders, invited God's judgment upon them through Antiochus, Antiochus before their, because of their sin. The first attack of Antiochus against the Jews of this time was to settle a rivalry for the office of high priest. A pious high priest, Onias III, was removed from office and was replaced with his brother Jason because Jason bribed Antiochus. Then in 172 B.C., another brother, Melnelius, gave Antiochus an even greater bribe and replaced Jason. A year later, Menelius started selling many of the temple gold's utensils to raise money to pay off the bribe. Onias III rebuked him and Menelius had him murdered. Meanwhile, Jason gathered armies and fought against Menelius and regained the office of high priest. Antiochus Epiphanes came into Jerusalem in 171 B.C. to de defend the man who paid him a bigger bribe to be the high priest. I mean, these were some wicked leaders. These were supposed to be men of God. Boy, that says a lot for us, right? We're held at a higher standard, and these guys were... Nope, I'm going to get that position. It's mine. Jealousy and envy, and it became about earthly things. And this is history. This really happened. And that's why he went in there. So again, let's, let's look at what apostasis. We already looked at 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. You know, there has to be a falling away or, or rebellion first. Uh, there's only two times in the New Testament it's used. It's in it's 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, which we read. Let's go to Acts 21, 21 real quick. You guys enjoying this tonight? You getting a history lesson? Okay. And I'm sorry if I've got tongue twister tonight. I sometimes get a little too excited. My, I, when I played soccer, you know, I used to run so fast I'd run over the ball, and then I couldn't score a goal. I think I do that with my mouth sometimes too. 
Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So Acts 21, 21, look what it says. These were the Jews. They were informing Paul. They said, they have informed, they have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or to live according to their customs. So again, the, these Jews were coming to, this was in Jerusalem, the Jews were coming to Paul and saying, uh, saying that he had uh, apostatized from the, from the laws of Moses. And so he was trying to make a distinction that the Gentiles weren't under the law, and, but the, the Jews still, uh, uh, they still followed those things. They weren't under the law, but they still followed those customs. And so the word that they talked about where it says uh, turn away is the word apostasy. So these two words... 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the falling away in Acts 21, 21, which means turn away, is the word apostasia. The Greek word for falling away, which means to forsake, falling away, or defection. Now, it's interesting because the root of that word we can find in the Old Testament. Its root is called backsliding. How many of you guys heard backsliding? Let's go to uh, uh, Jeremiah 2, 19. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 19. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 19, says this. Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of me, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. Our root word, and I looked this up. Now, here's the, here, I'm going to give you the definition of this word backsliding here. Okay? That's the scripture. I guess we didn't have to look it up. I put it in there. But look at, the ba- look at the definition of the word backsliding. And this is from the Strong's definition. The Hebrew word is mishabah. In the Strong's definition, it means turning away, turning back. What? Apostasy. Backsliding. So these leaders had apostatized. The people of Israel had apostatized. I want to I share something else. For 400 years, God didn't speak until Jesus came on the scene. He didn't, no, no prophets, nobody spoke for 400 years before the birth of Christ. That means prophecy had ceased. God stopped speaking to them. And it probably goes back to the, their apostasy. And it got to a point when they began to cry out that God said, mm, I got an answer for you. It's my son. And Jesus shows up on things. You can go back and you can do history on it. For 400 years, God didn't speak until he spoke to Zechariah when he was in, in the temple. Remember? Zechariah. You're going to have a child at your old age. John the Baptist's daddy. Antiochus Epiphany set himself up in the temple, declared himself God. He forced everyone to be Greek and put away their cultural ways and beliefs. I've already shared that with you. Again, he set up an idol. I already talked about the pig, and he spread its blood in the temple, desecrating it. And it takes, from what I understand, seven years to consecrate a temple after it's been desecrated. It's interesting. How long is the tribulation period? Seven years. God wants to clean house. Remember Jesus? When he goes in, what did he do? He cleaned house, didn't he? You have made my father's house a den of robbers, but it is to be called a house of what? Prayer. I wonder what Jesus would think about some of our churches today. Now, I'm not picking on any church. I'm just wondering. I mean, do you ever wonder that? 
So how long did God allow the desecration to take place? 2,300 evenings and mornings. That's seven years. Again, how long is the tribulation period? All this is pointing to, again, future, the future reign of the Antichrist. Now, I want to get into this a little bit farther. we got about 10 more minutes, I think. Let's go a little bit farther. You guys ready to go a little bit deeper? The Antichrist. How's the Antichrist in here? He's in here. See, Daniel needed a little bit of clarification on this scripture. Look with me in verse 15. While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man. And I heard a man's voice from Ule calling, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. Most people believe that the man that's standing there that talks to Gabriel could be what we call Christophanes. It's a physical manifestation of Jesus in the Old Testament. And he shows up a lot. You can find him in Joshua chapter 5 when Joshua comes up and he's, and he's scouting out the, the land of Jericho. Remember getting, just before they were getting ready to take, take it. And he sees a man there with a sword and he goes, are you for us or for them? And he goes, neither. But as the commander of the Lord's army, you are standing on holy ground. Take off thy sandal. There's only one person you take your sandals off in the Old Testament. And there's only one commander of the Lord's army, and that's Jesus. So most believe that this is Jesus speaking to Gabriel. Now, this is the first time that Gabriel's name is mentioned in Scripture. There's only two angels that have names that we know of in Scripture, Michael and Gabriel. That's verse 16. So this is, again, I already mentioned that. So Daniel's vision concerned the end times. Let's go to verses 17 through 19. As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. While he was speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Then he touched me and raised me to my feet. He said, I'm going to tell you what will happen later in the time of the wrath because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. How do we know this is the end times? We know it's describing the end times because it uses the words time of the end and the time of the wrath. I want to read a scripture to you. Look at this, Revelation 6, 16. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the what? The lamb. I love that you and I are not appointed to wrath is what scripture says. Hallelujah. But this is God's wrath. How about this one? Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. So we know that he's speaking of the end times because he uses the word what? Wrath. And when you see it in scripture, the word wrath is speaking of the end times when God is going to judge the nations for their sin. Guys, I think things are starting to really get, things are bubbling up. I just read an article today that I think the Netherlands just, they hired a, one of their uh, chancellors or something in, the, in their government is an LGBTQ guy and, and now he's got thing where it's hate speech and hate speech means that if you say that homosexuality is wrong, that's hate speech and you go to prison for it. I was speaking to somebody recently and you can do, go through history and it's true. Every time they have taken away free speech, the next thing that happens is genocide. What are they trying to do here? They're trying to silence us. They're trying to take away our free speech. 
They're trying to censor us. Oh, don't say that. That might offend somebody. Oh, some preacher, I better not say this. Some people might get mad. They're not getting mad at you. They're getting mad at the Word. They're getting mad at God. We got to be responsible. We got to be watchmen on the wall. We're living in the last days. The terms time of the end, later time of the indignation, commonly refer to what we think of as the end times, not events fulfilled more than 100 years before the birth of Jesus. Now, that's what's interesting. Antiochus Epiphanes showed up about 100 years before Jesus was born. What a beautiful picture. Look at what Matthew 24, 3 says. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the what? Age. We know that is what? The end times. So how intense will God's wrath be on earth? For those that are left behind. Well, this is how intense it's going to be. Matthew 24, 22 tells us. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. You don't want to be left behind. I mean, just in the first part, I did a whole series on the book of Revelation. Just in the first part, if we have 8 billion people on earth, we're getting close to what, 8, eight point something billion people. That means if, if we're close to that end, just in the first part of the book of Revelation in the tribulation, the first part of the tribulation, in the seal judgments, two billion people will die. That's a lot of people. Again, Gabriel describes who the four kingdoms are. I've already discussed this, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about this. These are the same four kingdoms that Nebuchadnezzar saw in Daniel chapter 2 and that Daniel saw in chapter 7. So now the rise of the Antichrist. Look at me in verse 23. We got time, hallelujah. I'm going to get through this tonight. If not, you're staying late, right? Okay. So look at this. This is what's important. We got to understand that in, in Scripture, God will often speak of future events and then farther future events. He often puts two things into one thing, sometimes three. I don't know why he does that, but he just does. And so verse 23, in the later part of their reign... When the rebels have become completely wicked, a stern-faced king, a master of intrigue, will arise. So out of a revived system, the Antichrist is going to arise. Again, we know that this is not speaking of Antiochus Epiphanes, because later on in this, we're going to look. He is destroyed by Jesus in verse 25. Let's look at that, verse 25. He will cause deceit to prosper, and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy Many and take a stand against the prince of princes, yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. And it said, we just read in 2 Thessalonians that God's going to destroy him from the breath of his what? Mouth. In fact, in Revelation, it says a sword comes from his mouth. All God has to do is, I mean, God could just look at you. I mean, did you ever get a look from your parents when you were a kid? You got that look. You were acting up in the store, and all they had to do was, and you knew. Man, I don't have the look. My kids don't do that with me. I wish I had my dad's look because my dad would just, you know, we would straighten up my sister and I knew that look. Jesus has the look <laughs> and he's going to deal with them one day. So again, who's the prince of prince? Jesus. Because the scripture says right here in Revelation 19, 16, on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, 
King of kings and Lord of lords. And I find it interesting. I don't know if you knew that I was preaching, t- preaching or teaching on this tonight, but what was the first song we sang? He's our king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. The Antichrist will have a fierce countenance. Now, the word stern or fierce here means strong or mighty. He, I mean, he's going to have a countenance means face. So he's going to have a strong, mighty face. We're going to find out later on in, in Daniel that he also has no desire for women. There's a lot of debate on what that means. Again, he's going to rise to power from nothing and will become powerful by others. Listen to verse 24. He will become very strong, but not by his own what? Power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy the mighty men and the holy people. He's going to go after the Jews. When he comes, it'll be three and a half years into the tribulation period, and he's going to stand up in the temple calling himself God. And, And he's going to go after the Jews. Because it says that Satan enters the Antichrist. He possesses him. And Satan hates the Jews. Why do you think what's going on now? The the one nation that's been treated worse than any other nation throughout all history is what? The Jews. Everything you see going on right now is a spiritual battle that's being manifested in the flesh. Spiritual battles are real. I mean, come on. Water break. Water break. Oil, my car. Hallelujah, we're doing something right. So it says he's he's going to be very strong, verse 24. And he's going to come to power not by his own. In fact, it's interesting. I I I, w- I should have show I'm going to show this clip sometime. I'll see if I can get it pulled up. But it was about 2 or 3 years ago. Remember me sharing this with you and at the time it was Prince Charles before he became King Charles and he was at he was at the COP27 meeting. It's all the financial system, economic system of the world. And he's talking about how we're going to have to have trillions of dollars, almost militarist kind of uh, move to, for climate change. And then he goes, and then he mentions this in his speech. He goes, and he, he's, he will have trillions at his disposal. He, he and his. Who's he? Who's his? Things that make you go, hmm, right? Makes you wonder. <laughs> so he's going to be, he's going to come to power from others. So again, we don't know who he is. I mean, I have to be honest with you. One time I go, hmm, I wonder if that guy's it. <laughs> I wonder if that guy's it. I've even thought about that, the false prophet. I wonder if the Pope is the false prophet. Boy, I hope that doesn't get kicked off. <laughs> but some of the things he's doing, he's allowing the, he's changed so many things and just the things that he's doing. And he's doing this one world religion with called Chrislam. And there's three temples that he's built over in uh, 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 Abu Dubai. Uh, I think that's how you say it. And in, there's three temples, one for the Jews, one for the Catholics, and one for the, the, the Islamics, the Islam. They just finished it just recently. How how many guys know what Neom is? Do you know they're building this? This is in old Babylonian territory. You can go look up in history. It's called Neom. Saudi Arabia, 
Part of theirs is old Babylon. And they're building a, a wall that's like 700 miles long or something like that. I might be wrong in the, 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 the length of it. But it's going to be squared and it's going to be a digital city. And it's going to be like, like a, close to 1,000 feet tall or something. And it's going to be mirrored. Why would you put mirrors out in the desert? I've been out there. It's like 118 degrees. I've been out in the shade in Saudi Arabia in the shade at 118 degrees standing in front of a, a, a thermometer. But it's going to be a digital city. And you can't buy or sell unless you have a digital passport. And it's all digital. They're building that right now. You can see where they're building it. They've got it all marked out and everything. They said they got about 20% of it done. Again, another thing that makes you wonder, think. So he, the Antichrist, will bring devastation, not peace, and he will be successful. So he's going to start off a smooth talker. He's going to be peaceful. He's going to come because it's going to have something to do with the temple. Rebuilding the temple up on the temple mount. And somehow it's going to bring peace. What's the whole thing? Peace and security in what? Middle East. They're pushing for it right now because of all that's going on. And, and somehow it's going to have to come to a peace agreement for them to be able to build a temple for, in order for the Antichrist to go in there and cause an um, abomination that causes desolation. So again, he's going to be a smooth talker and peaceful at first. Oh, come on. I'm not going to do that to you. Anybody ever meet a smooth talker? Do you ever meet like a salesman? Man, I hate going to the car dealerships. I hate to run from them. You know, you look at them like, nope, don't, don't give them eye contact because they're like, oh, that's a sale. I did that today. I had to take my car over. You know, it was actually yesterday. And I had one of these salesmen look at me. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I better run up and hurry up and get in there before he starts talking to me about it. I mean, I, that's their job. They got to do that. I'm sorry. Anyways, I got off on a tangent. But the Antichrist is going to be a smooth talker. That's what he's going to do. And people are going to gravitate towards him. He's going to be a charismatic speaker. Do you know what Hitler used to do? He would talk quietly to get everybody's attention. And he would get louder and louder and louder. And that's when you hear him shouting on the thing. He, he got their attention. He was a smooth talker. How is it that you've changed the whole nation to follow something like that? And I, I look at our country, look at the things that we've done that we've followed. I mean, I'm going to just bring it up. Toilet paper, come on. I couldn't believe it. I thought there was something wrong when I went to the store, when it all started. Where's all the toilet paper? Everybody started buying it up. I couldn't figure it out. It just goes to show you when people feel threatened or afraid, they will flock to somebody for the answers. And that's what they're going to do with the Antichrist. And it's, it, it'll happen in our time. I really believe it. I really, really believe that it's going to happen in our time. So at first he will deceive the Jews as being a man of peace, but then he will bring destruction. Look what he does in verse 25. We're going to close here, okay? He will cause deceit to prosper, and he will consider him superior. That's him setting himself up in the temple. When they feel secure, right? Oh, this guy's for us. They're going to look at him as the Messiah. They're going to look at him as the Messiah. They really will. This is the Messiah, the false Messiah. And they're going to fall for it. And it says, when they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Again, yet God destroys him. I want to read this real quick. Daniel 9, 27, it says, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. 
The word confirm there literally means to strengthen, and I, I probably got ahead of my notes here, but it means to strengthen. That means it's going to be something that's already set in place that he has to strengthen. Okay? In the middle of the seven, three and a half years, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Again, here's the word confirm. It means, it means to confirm, give strength. You have to give strength to something. You can't give strength to something unless it's already what? There. The Antichrist will strengthen a treaty or covenant that is most likely already established. It will probably have something to do with the Temple Mount, a new temple, and peace and security. And we see that in Scripture. Paul prophesies it. When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction comes on them. Man, isn't God's word awesome? Warren Worsby, I'm going to read this real quick. You guys okay with that? says this in his commentary. He compares Antiochus' epiphanies to the Antichrist. Both begin modestly, modestly, but increase in power and influence. Both blasphemy God with mouths that speak great things. Both persecute the Jewish people. Both claim to be gods and put images in the temple. Both impose their own religion on the people. Both are opposed by a believing remnant that knows God. Both are energized by the devil and are great deceivers. Both appear to succeed marvelously and seem to be invincible. Both are finally defeated by the coming of a redeemer, Judas Maccabeus and Jesus Christ. So the Antichrist will not succeed. The distant future refers to both the rise of Antiochus Epiphanes and to the Antichrist. So can we finish with that? Because we're talking about him, but let's lift up Jesus Christ. So look real quick at the end of that. I want to read that again with, with you in verse 25. He will cause disease to prosper. He will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take a stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. What a way to end that. He's not going to succeed. Neither one of them succeeded. They were both destroyed. The Antichrist will be defeated by Jesus Christ. And I want, we can look at that scripture next week, 1911. So... Anybody learn anything tonight? Are you going to remember any of it? I didn't get my notes written out. I'll get some notes typed up for you guys to give to you, okay? With everything that happened this week, I just tried to get the notes, and I just, we had a lot going on. Well, let's pray. Father, we know that the time's short. We know that you're coming. We know that you're coming to get your bride. God, we want to be ready for you to come. We know you're coming. We know that trumpet's going to sound one of these days. Father, help us not only to get ready, but get people to Jesus. Help us to get as many people to Jesus as we can. Because we know you're standing at the door. When we're beginning to see all the things that you talked about in the Bible, your, your scripture is true. And it's going to happen. It already has happened in the past, and it's going to happen in the future. So, Father, help us be prepared. Give us divine appointments as we move out these doors. We're going into harvest field to teach and reach the lost. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Blessings to you. I love you. It's a good thing to give have a good, thanks to have the Lord. Have a good week. Amen.